such a joy to be here, and nothing makes me feel better um, during the, the days leading up to this than this particular text that we're looking at. So, you know, I pray that this text that we're looking at can do a work in you as it's done a work in me in the past couple of days, that it can bring you joy, that it can lift you up, that it can cure whatever ails you. And um, it's a great text. You know, this Last, this is the last Sunday, really, of, of Advent, of looking at texts like this, of uh, last Sunday before Christmas. And so that means that this is the last Sunday of living into this rhythm of anticipation where we reflect on the coming of Christ into the world. And so to do that today, to reflect on the coming of Christ, we're going back to this passage in Isaiah. We're going back to the book of Isaiah, back to this um, book that was written hundreds of years ago before the birth of Christ. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of the most well-known passages in the Old Testament that anticipated the coming and the birth of Christ. And that passage is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. We're just going to look at that text now. We're going to start by reading the text and it might not start looking familiar, but trust me, you're gonna, it's going to um, ring a bell as we get into it. And I just want you to have a note, like even as we read this text, like note that um, all of this, virtually this whole text is written in the past tense. In the sense like Isaiah is writing it like it has already come to pass, like it has already happened. It's almost like Isaiah has so much faith that this prophecy will come to pass that he's written it like it is happening or it has already happened. And, and he writes this, but... Starting at verse 1, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And of course, Galilee is, where, is the region where Jesus was born and raised. Then our passage continues, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them light uh, has shone light. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of, for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. And so here's our text that we're looking at today. And, you know, I'm just like, it, our context is in three days... Right? Many of us will be celebrating the coming of Christ. And one of the ways that many of us will be remembering this gift is by giving and receiving gifts to one another. 
right? We'll be giving and receiving gifts from one another. That's how we will be remembering Christmas. And this is the thing about Christmas that I love. Christmas is like the only holiday where everybody receives a gift. It's not just for the mothers. It's not just for the girlfriends. It's not just for the spouses, and it's not just for the birthday boy or the birthday girl. Christmas is a time where absolutely anyone can receive a gift. And I love that picture of Christmas. Because at the heart of Christmas, really at the heart of Christianity, is this gracious, extravagant, unearned, unmerited gift. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. For God so loved the world, he gave. Right? And this gift is not just for the privileged. It is not just for the special. It is not just for the deserving or the well-to-do. It is a gift that absolutely everybody and anybody can receive. And I think that this passage that we're looking at today reminds us of the goodness of this gift in so many ways. So we're just going to go through it, and we're going to see some of the joys that this passage points to in this gift of Christ. Now, I know we're looking at this text in Isaiah, and I know we just finished a sermon series on Isaiah. And really, if we're honest, Isaiah was so good in so many ways, but there was also a lot in that book that was dark, was it not? There was a lot in that book that was heavy. And we do get a glimpse of this darkness in the first few verses of our passage, do we not? Because the first few verses in the passage, if we look at it right now, starting from verse 1, I mean, the first few verses of this passage, it talks about gloom, talks about people walking in darkness, and it also mentions these regions in Galilee, Zebulun and Naphtali. And these are the regions in Galilee where Assyria first began their invasion of Israel. This is the re- these are the regions where Assyria first began to invade, to conquer, to destroy, and then to exile it, the Israelite people. And this is the thing with Isaiah, though. You do not need to read between the lines to see the darkness. Isaiah is about a people that have been walking in this deep darkness for such a very long time. It's about a people that had this external darkness, right? They had this external darkness from these four nations like Babylon and Assyria that came to invade and destroy and to um, pillage and to exile. And Isaiah is also about a people that were filled with internal darkness, right? about a people that had become so corrupt and so unjust and so selfish and so uncaring to the poor and to the needy. And so this book, this book of Isaiah, it documents hundreds of years of heartache, of anxiety, of fear, of pain. And it's like everybody in this book is just sitting in the darkness and waiting, waiting for change, waiting for better days, waiting for some light, just waiting. And you know, church, I believe we do not, we, we don't have to um, go far to taste some of that darkness today. It's not like we don't have a taste of that waiting that we read about in Isaiah today. And that's because I know that this year has not been kind for all of us in this room. There are people in this room that have lost loved ones. People in this room that are fighting cancer or that are battling sickness. People that are dealing with divorce 
or struggling financially or struggling addiction, struggling with depression, struggling to find a job, struggling to find work, struggling to find a home, I can go on. And now at this point, if you're new to the church, you might be starting to sweat a little bit. Like, what kind of church is this? What have I gotten myself into? Hey, welcome to the tapestry. So glad that you can join us, right? But honestly, that's just kind of life though, isn't it? I mean, that's a picture of life. You know, if you involve yourself in any church for long enough, if you involve yourself in any community for long enough, you're going to start to see it. You're going to start to see the fraying edges. You're going to start to see the struggles of a community. You're going to start to see the darkness. It's inescapable. And so, church, we do not have to go past this room to see the darkness. And honestly, we do not need to go past ourselves to see it. Because who has lied to yourself more than you? Who has let you down more than you? Right? For most of you, no one has deceived you or hurt you more than you have. And look, if we have the capacity to do that to ourselves, what do you think we can do to others? What do you think we have the capacity to do to others? Or what do you think we have already done to others? And that's the thing. We're just like the Israelite people. We're not just struggling and dealing with external darkness, right? We also have this internal darkness in us. We have this thing inside us that can be cruel and can be selfish and can be self-destructive, even to ourselves. This thing that doesn't know moderation, this thing that doesn't know how to share but does know how to justify all sorts of wrongdoing and all sorts of injustice. And that's the darkness. That's the deep darkness in Isaiah that the people are just stuck in and waiting to get out of. And haven't you ever felt that way? Right? Haven't you ever felt like that John Mayer song? We're waiting on the world to change. You know that one? If we had the power to bring our neighbors home from war. They would have never missed a Christmas. No more ribbons on the door. And if you trust your television, what you get is what you got. Because if they own the information, oh, they can bend it all they want. So we're just waiting. You know that song, right? <laughs> Look, and if you haven't heard that song, it might sound a beat, right? But really, it's a sad song. It's a sad one because it's saying the world is broken. The world is unfair. There is all this hurt. There is all this suffering in it. We can't do anything about it, so we're just going to wait. And you know, church, I think one of the reasons why that song is so sad, when I hear that song, why that song is so sad to me, is because John Mayer's one hope in this whole song, in all of the lyrics, is that one day his generation is going to finally be in charge. Right? His hope is that, right, one day his generation is going to finally fix things. And the song is sad to me because now John Mayer is 42 years old. Right? This song has not aged very well. And it turns out that Generation X is not the generation that fixed everything. Generation X is not the generation that finally figured out how to turn the lights on. And I think that's the thing. Despite our best efforts... Despite our optimism, we have not been able to drive out the darkness ourselves. And the big reason for that is the darkness is a part of us. The darkness is in us. 
And I think that's why what led the famous evolutionary biologist Julian Huxley, who's not a believer, um, to say there are three unanswerable questions to life. And Huxley says, number one, what is the purpose of life? Then number two, he says, how did we get ourselves into this mess? And number three, his third unanswerable question, how do we get out of it? How do we free ourselves from this darkness? How do we get out of our darkness? And you know, the answer that we find in Isaiah to that question, how do we get out of our darkness, is we can't. That's what Isaiah is saying. We cannot get ourselves out of this darkness. But you know, for all that, Isaiah is not a book of despair. Isaiah is not a book of despair. And that's because in Isaiah, there is this like constellation of verses like our passage today that points to this light that will one day come and break through all the darkness. And if you look at this passage, you look at those first few verses, what you see is that the light that this passage is talking about, it is not created, right? It's not a human creation. It is not made. It is not there because a generation finally figured out how to turn the lights on. No, this light comes into this passage like a gift. This light comes into this passage like, so, like a present, and it's just something that breaks into the darkness and changes absolutely everything. That's why it kind of reminds me of the creation story in Genesis. And in Genesis, right, like everything in the first few verses, everything is dark, everything is in chaos, and then suddenly God brings the light. And from that, a new world and a new reality begins to take shape. And I think that's the picture that we have in the verses 3, 4, and 5 of our text. This picture of God turning on the lights. And then this light begins to give way to this new reality where there is no more burden and there is no more oppression and there is no more affliction and there is finally peace where every garment and boot that was once used for battle is burned and all that remains in the world is this deep, unshakable joy. And the thing that Isaiah makes very clear in these verses is that God is the primary actor. God is the one that makes it all happen. In other words, all of this, this new reality to us will be a gift. We will delight in the victory of, um, victory of the battle over darkness, but we will not set foot on the battlefield to fight. We will participate in the joy of the harvest but we will not know the toil and the suffering of preparing the crop. And then suddenly our passage takes this strange and kind of interesting turn because in verse 6, verse 6, it says that all this will come to us. All this will be gifted to us through the birth of a child. Do you see that? In verse 6, 4, because for unto us a child is born to us, a son is given. And, you know, in these last few verses of our text, we can already begin to see the mystery of Christ's humanity on one side and Christ's divinity on the other because the passage says that the child will be born as if from human parents, right? And this child will sit on the throne of David, which is a human throne. But this passage is, it also calls this child a given son, 
as if he were some kind of divine gift, and that this child will reign from his throne eternally forever. This passage talks about this human and divine child. What? What is that? How is that going to work? I mean, this passage must have been so very confusing to the people reading this passage at the time. But then, hundreds of years later, we see that light comes down right in the midst of our darkness. Born of Mary, Son of God, but without a trace of darkness in him. And in the person of Christ, God stepped into human history and he lived this bright and vibrant and illuminating life. And on the cross, he took the weight of all of the darkness. He took the weight of all of our sin. And the darkness on the cross did everything it could to crush him. The darkness did everything it could to kill him. And for three days, it looks like it did. For three days, it looked like the darkness won. But then Christ was raised to life again. Like it says in the Gospel of John, the light shone in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. No, in Christ, light has come. Rejoice, church. Light is here to stay. Jesus is like that first ray of light that slowly but surely pulls the rest of the dawn in behind him. Jesus is like that first faint early glow in the night that lets you know that the night's days are numbered and it is finally over. And even now, church, Jesus is alive and he is on the throne and he is bringing the reality of his new kingdom, of his new life to us as we speak. You know, that really is our hope in Christ. That what once began with darkness is slowly being pushed back and being driven away by his unending light. And you know what that means for us today? It means, church, it means that if Christ is on the throne, that we can begin to live in the light of his reign today. Let me say that again. If Christ is on the throne we can begin to live in the light of his reign today. We can begin to receive him as everything Isaiah promises him to be. That means that today we can receive Jesus as our wonderful counselor. You know, if the incarnation shows us anything, it's that Jesus is not the type of person that stands far off from us. Instead, Jesus, he comes down. He's willing to get involved. He's willing to enter into our mess. And today, by the power of his spirit, Jesus walks with us. He's willing to lead us and comfort us and counsel us wherever we might go. What a gift. And not only that, but today we can receive Jesus as our mighty God. Right? We can live with the confidence and knowing that whatever is happening in the world and whatever is happening in our lives, that Jesus is on the throne. And that in his power and in his wisdom, he is working all things out for the good. What a gift. And not only that, but today we can receive Jesus as our everlasting father. Because Jesus is the one that reveals the heart of the father to us. 
He is the one that shows us what God's love is like, what God's character is like, what God's grace is like. Because like he says in the Gospel of John, I and the, and the Father are one. And so in knowing God the Son, we can know God the Father, whose desire is to love us like his children forever. What a gift. And not only that, but today we can also receive Jesus as our Prince of Peace. And what that means is not only can we look forward to Jesus one day finally establishing his kingdom and bringing peace on earth, but through his work on the cross, we can already live in the joy of knowing that Jesus has already established for us peace with God and this new life with him. What a gift. And so church, this Christmas... I hope that we all might begin to delight again in this gift of Christ. And I pray, you know, if you are sitting in this room and you have not received him yet, I hope and I pray that you might know that he is a gift for you as well. Because Jesus is a gift for absolutely everyone. And I hope that you might receive him as well. And you know, church, the way we receive Christ and the way that we grow in delight of him is that we make Jesus Lord of our life, right? The way that we receive Christ and the way that we grow in delight of him is we strive to let him rule in our lives. And let me tell you what I mean. You know, if you read political theory, one of the reasons where there is no ruler or no king that has ever been able to establish true peace in their kingdom is because of our darkness. It's because we are so very corruptible. It's because we all have a tendency to use our power in dark ways. And that's why Lord Acton, way back when, he says, power tends to corrupt, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. So there has been no king that has been able to bring peace on his or her kingdom because we are all corruptible people. We can all use our power in dark ways. And this is why Thomas Hobbes said, instead of the rule of kings, it is better to have a kind of commonwealth, right? Something that Thomas Hobbes called the Leviathan. And it is also why, partly why, Winston Churchill, he said that in this world of sin and woe, that's what he says, in this world of sin and woe, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others, right? Except for monarchy, except for dictatorship, except for all the others. And so, church, I hope you see, do you see that one of the reasons that Jesus will be able to take the government on his shoulders, like our passage says, and establish this true peace is not only because of his power, it will not only be because of his might or his ability, but it will be because of his pure heart. It will be because of his incorruptible love for his people. And church, let me just say, what is true for the global and true for the macro is also true for the local and true for the personal, right? What is true for the global and the macro is also true for the local and the personal. And what I mean by that is, not only do we need the light of Christ to run our world, but we also need the light of Christ to run our lives. If you want peace, if you want rest from that inner turmoil, from that darkness, 
you are not going to be able to bring it yourself. If you make yourself Lord of your own life, if you give yourself that kind of power, the part of you that is corruptible, the part of you that is full of self-harm and self-deception will not be able to lead you into peace. No, if you want peace, you are going to need somebody greater than yourself to lead you into it. You're going to need to have somebody more true than yourself to lead. You're going to need to submit to the rule of a greater king. And honestly, church, I think that this is one of the big reasons why truly accepting the gift of Christ can be so very hard. Because to receive the gift of Christ, you have to humble yourself, don't you? You have to swallow your pride in a way. To accept the gift of Christ is to acknowledge your need, is to say, I need help. I need saving. I can't get out of this on my own. But so often, with so many things and in so many ways, in our pride, we are so much more inclined to say, you know what, I'm okay. Things aren't that dark. I'm fine. I don't need any help. And this is the thing with pride. Pride can stop us from receiving all measure of good gifts that God has for us. Isn't that true? Pride can stop us from receiving all measure of good gifts that God has for us. But you know, this Christmas, I pray that we may lay a hold of the gift of Christ and that we may receive him in deeper and fuller ways. This Christmas, I pray that we might behold more of the beauty and the wonder of this gift because there is just so much beauty and wonder to behold, isn't there? I mean that God in his zeal, that God in his passion would want to involve himself with us and find a way to save us from our darkness. That this God who can make planets and who can make stars on demand would give his only son the one thing that he couldn't make more of for us so that we might have life in him. And that this child of life who once knew no death, that he willingly entered into the world to give his life for us all so that we might live and so that he could be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, and our everlasting father, and our prince of peace. What a beautiful, wonderful gift. Rejoice, my friends, and Merry Christmas. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Lord and gracious Father, we thank you for all measure of your good gifts. Lord, when I read the biblical text, what I read is a God who desires to bless, a God who desires to give, a God who anoints, a God who comes and walks with us. And Lord, I just pray that we as, as your covenant community, that we as your people can can lay a hold of those, the good things that you have for us, that we can have open hands to receive because you have so many things to give. And it's so ironic that, you know, in the midst of Christmas, it can be so easy to lose sight of you. Sometimes it's, it's harder to keep our eyes on you during Christmas than 
the rest of the calendar year because there's so much going on. So I pray that this Christmas, whether we're enjoying the blessing of a good meal with family or gifts from friends and loved ones or a hug here or a hug there or fellowship or community, that we might delight in those gifts, but we might know that all good and perfect gifts come from you, that you are truly a wonderful gift giver, and that we might receive more of you this Christmas. All of these things we pray in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen.